the business of Cambridge from Cambridge 105 Radio, episode three, The Workplace. Hi, welcome to the business of Cambridge and the topic of discussion today is what makes a happy and productive working environment. So we're thinking about the essential elements that help people communicate better, work well alongside each other and make our organisations more profitable. And so I've got two guests with me today who've got lots of recent learnings on this very topic. So James Parton, you're the MD of the Bradfield Centre. Uh, which is based up at the Science Park. And who are the sort of people that you might meet if you walk into the Bradfield? So within the building itself, we're home to around about 100 tech startups, which roughly equates to around 600 desks. And as well as the companies that are based there full time, you're also going to bump into investors, people representing other technology providers like Google and Apple. And uh, we do get a lot of people coming from across the science park as well. So working at some of the larger corporates. So it's a real melting pot of lots of different people. Okay, so very kind of fresh, very modern, lots of new companies. Yeah, it has a kind of campus feel to it. Very open, very welcoming. There's a cafe open to the public, which helps kind of build some nice buzz downstairs. So yeah, it's all about technology companies. That's our focus. And I've also got with me Saul Nasse from Cambridge Assessment. And with you, there's a lot more heritage going on. So when was the organisation founded? Oh, we've been going for literally hundreds of years. We're, okay. not, we're <laughs> not quite as old as the university itself, which we're part of. Um, but it's around 160 years that we've been going, going Okay. For. And where was your first location? We've been in all sorts of different places around the city. So where we have been most recently was all along Hills Road. So if you walked from the station into town, you'd have passed... 10 different buildings of ours all along that road. It was the Cambridge Assessment Mile, if you like. And so you've gone from this cluster of buildings to your lovely new all-purpose shiny complex, uh, the Triangle. And whereabouts in town is that? So if you're on a train, um, you've just left the station, you're heading down to London, we're right there on the right. Big building, lots of yellow bricks, can't miss us. So, James, go back all the way to 2017, uh-huh. <laughs> years yep. ago, um, and tell me what it was like when you opened. Were you flooded with inquiries? Could you not move when you first walked in? Or was it a bit harder than that to, to tell people what was going on? It was a little bit harder than that. So it's, um, it's a 40,000 square foot building, so it's pretty big. And uh, when we first opened up, I'd say it probably took about six to eight months for, for us to really hit the road. The initial take up was quite slow. And I think that was number one, because we obviously had to get the word out there and make people aware that we exist. Cambridge is also quite well served in terms of workspace provision to startups with places like Ideaspace, Eagle Lab, St. John's Innovation Centre. And we were targeting, if you like, the kind of scale up phase of tech startups. So as they start to get a little bit of momentum and they want a, a slightly larger office space, and I've got to admit, kind of six months in, I was starting to think of we bitten off more than we can chew, but we kind of hit that tipping point and we were suddenly inundated as you know word of mouth built and we got referrals coming in for companies that were based there and who were your very first tenants so we had about a dozen people like cambridge wireless um string and they're all still with us today which is fantastic oh wonderful so yeah they weren't put off by (laughs) no (laughs) i mean you could play your five side football match i think downstairs when we first opened (laughs) the only thing is for those original companies they then had to adjust with the building filling up because they had the whole run of the place to themselves so you know when the first queue started to appear at the cafe then it became a bit of a problem and how did you manage that then 
there must have been a few sort of not exactly friction points but sometimes people must be thinking oh well I've been here longer so yeah I mean it's like everything you know you kind of get spoiled if you're the first people into the building because you have the whole place to yourselves it's a bit of a playground but obviously all of our original tenants always wanted the building to be successful so they always you know a understanding of the fact that we would be filling up and be actually welcome that because obviously it's all about the vibrancy of the community and when there's only a few small companies rattling around in a large building you don't have that buzz you don't have that sense of community and Saul with you thinking about friction points what was it like having the company so it's about two and a half thousand staff isn't it spread out over all of these buildings what kind of problems was that causing you it was causing us all sorts of problems I mean we're an organization that runs exams around the world and we have lots of very highly specialist teams you know, there'll be a maths team for Pakistan here and an English team for the UK there. And what we'd ended up with were teams scattered amongst all these different buildings and not interacting with each other. So we weren't really getting the kind of collaboration that you'd want in a, in a modern organisation. And you know, then you, you just got literal problems of the fact you've got to have a catering provision in each building, um, you've got people walking in the rain, all of the sort of practical things you could imagine would be a problem. But I think the main thing was that it was exacerbating a kind of problem of people working in their silos because they were literally in a silo that was a building. Yeah, I used to find it myself whenever we've done work there that you go for a meeting and then people say, oh, well, we've just got to nip over the road to go here. Oh, I'll just get my pass. Oh, we've just got to go down these stairs. Oh, no, the meeting room's taken. And, and this kind of continual slight obstacle. But, mm. but to be honest, we'd also got a problem that they were buildings that hailed from the 1960s that had had a sort of partial yeah. reverb in the 1990s. So they were they were old and a bit rubbishy, really. So they were in need of a massive update, even if we hadn't got the problem of being in different buildings. And also, we just, we're very successful, so we keep on growing. So we'd, we'd outgrow a building, we'd add another one, we'd outgrow a building, we'd add another one. So we wanted a new home that gave us the space to keep growing. So you had that kind of legacy problem that uh, maybe you didn't have at the, the Bradfield. So I'm interested from both of you, what kind of feedback you got, so Saul, from current staff about the things that they wanted in a new place, and then maybe from startups talking to you, James, about yeah. what people actually want from this, this co-working environment? So it was a collaborative process in the design of the building. Uh, so the company that I was working for, Central Working, had been operating co-working spaces for nearly a decade. So there was a lot of experience in terms of designing a collaborative workspace. So lots of communal areas, lots of collision points where you're trying to engineer people kind of coming together. So if you've been to the Bradfield Centre and if you haven't come along, we can show you around. We've got on our first and second floors communal kitchens, which are really designed like the home, because I don't know about you, but we spend all of our time socially in the kitchen usually. So that's how we've designed the floors of the building. So, and we encourage people, even if they have an office, we encourage them to come out their office, spend time in the building, you know, working alongside other people or just catching up and networking over coffee. There's also subtle design things like uh, on our glass partitioned offices we have sliding doors which are actually enormous and caused a lot of problems when we first moved in but we've ironed those out now but effectively you can signal physically if you want to be interrupted or if you want privacy by sliding back your door which effectively removes half of the wall because they're so big so just these kind of small subtle signals which help people kind of get more collaborative inside the building and then Saul with you did you have sort of similar feedback from people when they said about what their needs were they needed these central meetings points. Yes, yeah, so there was a bit of that. I mean, I, I think in some ways it was perhaps harder for our people 
to imagine what they wanted because they were so used to working in places that already existed. So I think we did a lot more to kind of stimulate the thinking. So we had architects that we worked with that were assessing the kind of individual needs of people, but also showing them different sorts of approaches that had worked for other organisations. So we put together a team of people that were about the kind of employee experience, if you like, and we took them around lots of other different buildings and got them to sort of try things out for size, if you like. So that, that kind of generated some of the ideas. But James was talking there about offices. That was a big deal for us because there had been a thing in Cambridge Assessment that once you got to a level of seniority you got an office you know, with a door that you could shut. And quite early on, you know, I was on the leadership team back then, we took a decision that there weren't going to be any offices, and that included us as the chief executives of the business. And that, that was quite a big kind of cultural signal that this was going to be about a place that was much more free-flowing and egalitarian and where we were cutting down on hierarchy. So you can use a building to give you clues around how you want a culture to be and the space will actually affect that culture too. And a couple of years in have you seen the impact of those sort of shifts so you know the top brass aren't hiding themselves away have you seen a positive impact of that? Oh very much so and there's also that real sense of bumping into someone that you've not seen for a while or you've never worked with before and we've done some things a bit like you were saying about your kitchen hubs James we've done we've done things to try and create movement so none of the meeting rooms are bookable until a particular time horizon because otherwise you'd get people all block booking the meeting rooms near the place that they worked in whereas people now take walks across the building and will you know bump into people as they go I mean in the past we had probably 90% of our space was desks and you had 10% meeting rooms what we've got now is a big swathe of areas that are ones that you can just kind of land in and have a 10-minute conversation with someone or, you know, break out and be at a table, tennis table. There's much more sort of types of places that suit different types of conversations. And that, you know, we've got good feedback about yeah, that. we see that too. I mean, you don't really need a formal meeting room for so many meetings. People are quite relaxed and casual if you're not talking about anything particularly sensitive. So, you know, I think having that freedom to roam around the space and have, you know, spontaneous conversations is really important as well. And we also have phone booths as well, so you don't have to block a meeting room to take a video call or a Skype call. You can just pop into a little phone booth and do that on your own. Yeah, we've, got, we've also got much more outside space than we used to have. So we've got these lovely first floor garden areas. So in the summer, people kind of spill out onto those and have, have meetings as well. Or it's if so you're a train spotter like me, be. they give you a very good view of the, of the trains coming <laughs> up the station. <laughs> you've also got that platform, haven't you? Like a viewing platform that's quite high because your view's out over the city. Yes, it's the, it's the tower. It's a, I mean, it's a bit of a kind of architectural whimsy, but lots of people think there must be a water tower at the top right. or something like that but it's it's just there to create a kind of landmark both for us but also for the city because you see it as you approach on the train but it's it's essentially a stack of meeting rooms and then a, a platform at the top and so it, it's I mean, not your are, train spotting uh, seat no it's, it's it's pretty good for that though because you can look both directions from up there <laughs> Um, Okay, and so just thinking about some of the modern things that you might have included, I know when I've gone to a meeting room in the the new place, not the old place, then I walked in and then the lights came on at exactly 10 o'clock and I seem to remember it might have said the names of the people who booked the room. I could be wrong about that. Um, So what are these kind of modern things that you made sure that you included in both of your working environments to make things run more smoothly for people, to help them communicate and work more productively? I mean, so first and foremost, we try to enable all of our members to be able to 
to self-service themselves without having to find a member of staff. So all of our meeting rooms, for example, can be booked online. They don't have to talk to anyone so they can see availability, uh, you know, through their uh, phone or, or laptop which helps enormously. We don't have the fancy kind of uh, digital display on the doors as you go into the meeting rooms, but that is something we're looking at because obviously I think as you touched on, um, there's, there's that etiquette of using meeting rooms and not block booking and showing up for meetings and just being a good citizen of the building. So we do feel that having more information displayed on the, uh, the meeting rooms uh, would help that situation. Access control is an obvious thing as well. Just people coming and going through the building is all very seamless. And then obviously, you know, number one, when you've got a building of 600 people working in technology businesses is internet. So, you know, having two ultra fast lines into the building, two gigabyte lines is the number one priority. Number two is good coffee. <laughs> Do people complain if it's not good enough? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that doesn't so surprise me at all. Coffee and the internet are the two number one things if you're thinking about opening up a tech co-working space. And did you have a similar thing? Do you get complaints about the coffee if it's not good or people are they a bit more relaxed? We've never had complaints about the coffee or oh. the food. It's one, it's one of the things even in our old buildings stood us apart. Um, we've, we've got a fantastic, completely in-house team that do the catering and we, we subsidise it as well. So if you're one of our employees, you're not paying full whack for your lunch, which is a great thing. We have got the fancy screens outside the meeting yeah, rooms. Yeah, I'll have to come and see them. <laughs> which which is looking... really cool because it means that if someone hasn't turned up for a meeting yeah. and logged in, yeah. then it's freed back up to the system yeah. and someone else can go in and book it. And I think when, when the lights came on, they're actually even better than than you thought because it, it oh. would it it would have been 10 o'clock and is there someone in the room so if you hadn't come in and no movement had been detected they still wouldn't have they still wouldn't yeah. have turned on it's interesting because we um we've got quite a high um certification on the building for energy uh, efficiency so we've got timers and sensors and all of our lighting but again it can be a source of annoyance because they turn off after 20 minutes if they haven't detected movement so you can imagine a programmer's got their headphones on sitting at their laptop and the sensor yeah they're constantly waving in the uh, in the office <laughs> to try and get the sensors to come on so uh, doing the right thing for the planet is sometimes annoying for people but uh, you know we, we want to do the right thing our, our sensors also affect the heat the heating and cooling in that way as well so if if there's no one on a floor then that will it doesn't cut out completely but it'll stop trying to heat it to the absolute right temperature it'll just let it cool down gradually if it's if it's a winter's day but you know when you're when you're designing a new building the environmental impact is really important so we've we've thought hard about that we've got solar panels on the roof as well so that we're we're able to push power back into the grid Fabulous. So, um, yeah, on the Business of Cambridge today, we're talking about what makes a happy and productive working environment. So we've just touched a little bit on sustainability. How about accessibility? So not just making sure that people can get to your location, but they can also move around the building freely. What kind of thought did you and the architects give to that, Saul? A lot of thought. I mean, you can't really design a building and not make it accessible now. So whatever your needs, you can move around the building. Because historically it must have been quite a problem. It was a tricky building, well, a tricky series of buildings that we've obviously been able to put lifts in right through the piece, um, you know, power-assisted doors where we've needed them. And But we've all, we've also put quite a lot of effort into how people get to and from the building. It's not as central as as our old building used to be, but it's seven or eight minutes walk from the station and we've put gates in that mean people can cut along the guided busway and get through to us. We've reduced significantly the number of parking spaces that we've got, which is you know part of planning regulations now, which obviously for some people who are used to driving in by cars being a bit of an inconvenience, 
but we've massively upped the amount of cycling provision that we've got. So about 30% of people coming come on and their bikes. And showers and that kind of we've thing. We've got 44 showers, right. so you're, ne- you're, never, you're never in want of one of those. And do you and have we've to got book the showers? <laughs> no, the, shower, the showers... Does it are, say your name when the, you go in? That would be know, really embarrassing. No. <laughs> the, the showers are turn up and turn up and squirt. <laughs> there are also pool bikes that we've got. So, you know, if, you, if you've come in on the train and walked in and you want a bike to shoot down to town, then there's one that's, that you can book online and used used by the hour. Did you get any complaints about that? You've reduced the number of parking spaces. Has there been any kind of kickback? Oh yeah, I mean that's, it is a big deal. And we had had a system where passes were allocated on the basis of how senior you were or how long you'd been in the organisation. So if you felt you'd earned one and then you weren't getting it, then that was difficult. But I think people understood that we were doing it because we were trying to think environmentally about our new building and, and encourage the use of public transport. So I think people bought that. And we've, we've introduced a scheme where if you're car sharing, you get the space. So, you know, we've actually got fewer cars, but more people in them, which, you know, is, that's a kind of win-win, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And then with the Bradfield Centre, you've got that great location just off the A14, really. So yeah. has that been quite a, a help in getting tenants to, to sign up? It's, it's interesting, actually. It's a self-selecting thing, I think, because, um, you know, certain people want to be in the centre of town for the, you know, the immediacy of the train station and the, the pub scene and the social side. However, you know, increasingly, a lot of people do like the convenience of just being able to drop in off the main artery and not have to get snowed up in the city centre. So I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to that. I think um, it's been hugely beneficial with the opening of Cambridge North Station though uh, so now we have that train access and not p- people don't have to come out from the city centre but we have the same challenge with parking you know we have a finite resource only 10% spaces compared to the people in the building so we've got that constant issue of educating people before they arrive and juggling the best way to allocate space in the car park but again being on the science park we have the benefit of Milton Road park and ride and we also have a shuttle service from cambridge north station as well so we're we're trying to make it as simple as possible but of course it's never going to be as convenient as just rolling up outside the front door and parking and then when people take the <clears> space <throat> what does it cost how much can you book it just for a day can you do you have to book it for six months how does all that work and particularly if you're a startup you're mindful of costs yeah and you need that flexibility so how, how do you come up with that kind of perfect package to suit everybody well we've got three different types of membership so the way that you would dip your toe in the water would be what we call our kind of drop-in membership so that gives you 40 hours per month and that's great for someone that's just starting out and wants to get out of coffee shops or working from home and wants to be in a more kind of creative environment and how much does that cost that's 149 pounds a month okay yeah, so kind of like a gym membership, really, that kind of price. The, it's a nice uh, gym you go to. Well, yeah, it's pretty nice, yeah, yeah. Um, the next one up is what we call our resident membership. So then you have a permanent desk. You have 24-7 access to the building. We never actually close, so you can come in all through the year 24-7. And then when you're ready, you can take a selection of private offices. And again, you know, we've been mindful not to dominate the building with office space because we want it to feel like a, a creative space and not just like a deal book cartoon so you know the use of glass is really important getting that balance between open plan desks and offices is really important but also you have to recognize that obviously a lot of these companies are working on intellectual property rich businesses so they do need a degree of privacy at some points in the day 
And so thinking about what you've learned over the last couple of years then, someone new starting a company perhaps and looking for their first premises or maybe someone in an established organisation, what are those essential things that you think they should try and develop just to make the workplace, make people happy, you know, increase their well-being and, and make them productive? I think it's all about being really centred on the needs of the people that you've got in your building, you know, putting them first and not trying to sort of force stuff onto people. And, and I think thinking you know, really deeply about those needs before you build and before you design, but then getting people into it. And if it doesn't quite work, you know, tweaking it a bit, we, you know, we've been quite good actually about reconfiguring areas and we've built the thing so that it is reconfigurable. People want different kinds of spaces to do different kinds of activities at different times of the day as well. So, you know, giving even flexibility for individuals as they move around the building to, you know, feel like they're part of it and, and, and have got different opportunities to work Are in different ways. Are you trying to, in any way, follow that sort of Silicon Valley idea where you're also including a lot of leisure opportunities as well? We've done a bit of that. So, you know, that we've got rowing machines and we've got a, a wellness centre where lots of activities happen at lunchtime but we're trying to make people go home when they've done their work <laughs> not not stay there and be you know yeah. chained by the prospect Something I see of quite a lot with some of the more science park type companies where mm. they have hairdressers and they give them yeah. free breakfast and yeah. free lunch and I think maybe they're just trying to let them the developers just work on their code all day and make sure they're looked after um, but what, what about you, James? What do you think are those essential elements that businesses should try and include? Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, I think we're in a slightly different position because obviously these, these are individual companies. With, but I guess we've spent our time thinking about how can we make them more productive and how can we accelerate their growth and accelerate their success. So the working environment is hugely important and having a place of work where people want to spend time. And when you think specifically in Cambridge, the, the kind of the pressure on attracting talent and the competitive nature of the talent market means that you know having an attractive place of work is going to be crucial in in landing you know top quality talent so thinking about where you base yourself is actually really important and then secondly we talk a lot about it's not just a desk you know we're trying to provide a whole suite of services right underneath the same roof which can help that growth as quickly as possible so that might be co-locating them with investors so they can get access to capital or just advice and and great network we have a, an auditorium on site where we run more than 300 events a year where they can learn something, they can connect, they can get inspiration. And then we provide a whole suite of additional services like, you know, offers and, and partnerships with the likes of Amazon and Google and all those sorts of people so they can get discounted access to their technology as well. And then on top of that, there's the social community piece as well. And do you find that there's a lot of collaborations between companies then? Because it sounds like yeah. it's this very fertile environment. Yeah, we actually track it. So, you know, a lot of people talk about community and the fact that, oh, yeah, we make introductions, but we actually are quite data-driven in that sense. So typically in an average year, we make around about just a shade under 2,000 connections between the companies either in the building or across our wider networks and around 20% of those lead to an actual collaboration so it's not just a you know oh you should have a coffee with Sue you should actually these things have materialized into either a collaboration or a partnership or something meaningful has happened after that introduction so um, yeah it's absolutely about that connectivity. So I've worked in all sorts of different working environments so sometimes it's been office space very closed offices and sometimes very open plan I always find that affects how much work people actually get done. <laughs> so how do you find that a Cambridge assessment? 
do people work very productively or do they chat too much or how does that all pan out? Our focus is always on getting the work done rather than, you know, watching the time that people are sat at their desks. We rely on the on the kind of management, the team structures to make sure that work is getting done. What we've got is different sorts of places. So, you know, if, if you've got to sit and concentrate and check on an exam script, you know, you can go away to a booth that, you know, is miles away from anyone else who's making noise. And we've also, we've also tried to group people by kind of working types. So the, the sort of quieter kind of professions are in one place and then the noisier marketeer salespeople are off somewhere else. But, I mean, it, we see having this, you know, open plan, more flexible space as something that's going to increase productivity. I and mean, we're not sitting there, you know, worrying that people are going to be on the pool table all, all day. <laughs> pa- partly because we don't have a pool table. <laughs> <laughs> that's one way of sorting that one. <laughs> So I'd love to hear from you both as well, just where you see things heading in the next year, perhaps. So you've been in the building a couple of years now and you've been established for a couple of years as well, James. So so what next? What are you going to change? What are you going to develop? We're, I think, thinking more about how we're changing the totality of the organisation, if you like. So we're, we're doing a lot to make the place just more kind of modern and accessible. So we're pushing our flexible working agenda we've thrown out what used to be a really restrictive dress code and it's now like where what's appropriate so we're sort of loosening up the organization generally and I think probably what we'll need to see is the building start to respond to that so if we've got you know more people working from home or working in in different sort of patterns we might need to open the building for different hours we might need you know fewer desks and more drop-in spaces so I think it's about you know, the needs of the organisation and how they're reflected in in the building more than thinking this is what will happen with the building. And then with James, so what's what's next in the coming year? Well, in some ways, the the provision of workspace, that job is never done because there's a certain volatility to the styles of companies that come into the building. And also we are actively accelerating them and encouraging them to leave when they get too large for us. And then on the flip side, on the kind of more support and infrastructure side, more partnerships, more benefits of being a member, more activity across the whole region because it's worth saying that the Bradfield Centre isn't just focused on the companies that are resident in the building. We actually support the wider tech ecosystem as well. And then more recently, we're starting to do quite a lot more work with public sector and corporates. So just this September, we ran a programme with the NHS looking at how the NHS can tackle mental health and healthy ageing through the use of artificial intelligence. So we used our networks, we used our infrastructure to run a a kind of programme where we actually got teams of startups, academics, practitioners all collaborating on those challenges. So we certainly want to do more of those kinds of programmes in 2020 and beyond. I think the thing we will definitely keep doing more of over the next few years is every time we can make something more environmentally friendly, we will. So even in the 18 months that we've been there, we've gone away from single-use cups at our coffee bars and everyone's got their own reusable cup. You know, it's small incremental things you do that can improve from a green point of view. Wonderful. Okay, well, thank you so much, both of you, for coming in. Um, so this has been the Business of Cambridge, all thinking about happy, productive working environments. And if you want to book space at the Bradfield, then uh, their website's really easy to find, isn't it? Bradfieldcentre.com. <laughs> and thank you so much, Saul, as well, from Cambridge Assessment. Thanks so much. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks a lot. Next time in episode four, Sue Keogh discusses building your brand with Ian James from the University Arms and Sally Webster from ARU. 
Business of Cambridge is a TDC production for Cambridge 105 Radio and you can download any of the episodes from our website or from your usual podcast provider. Thank you.